Hey y'all, it's Janice here, aka J Nice on the mic, and this is Dirty Diversity, a podcast on all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is called Dirty Diversity because in this day and age, diversity has become sort of a dirty or bad word that causes a lot of knee-jerk and negative reactions. The goal of this podcast is to dissect diversity, or lack thereof, inside and outside of companies, and also to discuss current events around equity and inclusion, as well as discussing solutions for creating a more cohesive world and workplace. My name is Janice, aka J Nice on the mic. <laughs> that was and still is my moniker on YouTube. Some of you may know I started a YouTube channel almost 10 years ago to discuss topics around race and black identity, and it seemed to really resonate with my audience. I'm also a TEDx speaker, a professor, a diversity and inclusion consultant, and a writer with a PhD in organizational psychology. Welcome to Dirty Diversity, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Hey y'all, Jay Nice on the mic, back with another episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. I hope you all are doing amazing today. So in today's episode, we are going to be exploring hair discrimination. And um, this episode actually came at the request of a friend of mine, and um, she asked about whether I had any episodes that explored hair discrimination, and I just thought, oh my gosh, that is a great idea for the upcoming episode. So before we dive into today's episode, I must first say thank you to all of you who listen to the podcast. It means the world to me, and I hope you all are getting a lot of good information from this podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, I urge you to... um, complete a review just to review the podcast so others can find the Dirty Diversity podcast. And I have a new book out called Dirty Diversity, a practical guide to fostering an equitable and inclusive workplace for all. A link to purchase your copy of the book is in the show notes in case you are interested. And for those of you who've already purchased it, I would love it if you left a review on Amazon so others can find the book. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So what is hair discrimination? I think hair discrimination is something that a lot of people aren't even aware that it actually takes place. Um, I would say a lot of white people or non-black people are not really fully aware and understanding of the fact that hair discrimination is just one of the many ways that systemic racism permeates our workplaces. So hair discrimination is just the discrimination that black people experience, black and uh, black and indigenous and other persons of color, but it's mostly directed at, usually it's directed at black people, black um, folks, And so it's the discrimination that black folks experience because of our hair texture. Um, So when we talk about hair discrimination, it's first important to, excuse me, to just mention that 
Hair discrimination is actually legal. There are only a few states like New York, New Jersey, California, that actually make it illegal to discriminate against someone based on their hair. Based on Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, it is illegal to discriminate against people based on a set of protected classes. Race is one of the protected classes, and in New York and New Jersey, hair discrimination is actually classified under racial discrimination. So if a employer tells you that you have to change your hair or you're not able to wear your hair in a style that's deemed Afrocentric, then you may have um, protections against being discriminated against. But in an overwhelming amount of states um, outside of these few that make it illegal, it's actually perfectly legal to discriminate against someone based on their hair. So if I am an employer in, let's say, Kentucky, I am perfectly within my rights as an employer to tell my employee that they have to wear their hairstyle in a way that complies with my quote-unquote dress code. Um, So what ends up happening in a lot of these legal cases is that black women, black men and black women and black folks are asked to um, change their hairstyle, and and usually it's Afrocentric hairstyles like dreadlocks, like Afros, and things of that nature. And there have been so many cases, and I actually wrote about this for a paper in my um, doctoral program, Uh, but there's, like, within the last 20 years, there's probably off the top of my head, I could think of um, at least 20 different cases of black women being asked, black men and black women, but I find that it happens Um, It seems like it happens uh, more frequently to black women, but being asked to wear their hair in a different style because their employer doesn't deem their hairstyle as professional or neat or clean. So it's a really big issue within the black community. And many of us black women have to go through these sorts of mental gymnastics when we're figuring out how to wear our hair in the workplace. And years ago, I was really hesitant about working with my hair in braids or in faux locks, which are like um, dreadlock extensions, you could kind of call them. Um, I was scared to wear my hair in these more Afrocentric hairstyles that I love because I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be seen by my white counterparts as not being acceptable uh, to the white norm and these white standards. So it is a really, really big issue. And to this day, I would say most of my black friends are not, you know, don't feel comfortable wearing their hair in these more Afrocentric hairstyles at work. Or what's really interesting is when getting headshots, um, one of my close friends was um, actually telling uh, telling me and telling a group of us that she was... Um, she didn't she was waiting till her braids were out to do her headshots and i think it kind of goes back to this perception and this idea that we've been made to believe that our hair in its natural and purest form is not acceptable and i think essentially 
a lot of it goes down to the fact that we have not yet normalized blackness. And I think normalizing our blackness is so imperative. And that's why I've stopped the practice of wearing my hair in hairstyles that I deem as socially acceptable. I wear my jumbo braids. You know, I literally last week during the debate, I was watching the vice presidential debate and taking my braids out. And, you know, I've rocked faux locks. I've had, um, I actually had, right after my semester ended, I had, uh, what is it called? I'm not even remembering the style. Uh, Fulani braids. Um, so I think that un- having an understanding of hair discrimination and that it exists and that it's so, um, it happens so often um, and it's often times in more microaggressive ways where people will make comments about our hair um, is all important on this journey to becoming an anti-racist and opening your uh, increasing rather your awareness and understanding. So me personally, I have 4C hair and I wanted to break down for y'all and share what that is because I know that um, outside of the the black community, I know a lot of people don't have awareness of hair hair types. So um, there is different hair types that are differentiated by numbers and letters. So someone with, for example, me, um, I have 4C hair. Four, so there's, um, you could have 2A, B, or C hair. You could have 3A, B, or C hair. You could have 4A, B, or C hair. I think you can even have 1A, B, or C hair. So I would say one type hair is more straight, maybe with a slight wave in it. Um, type 2 hair is like looser curls and waves. And the letters that follow the numbers just indicate how tightly coiled the um, your curl pattern is. So if you have, for example, um, three a three type hair, um, you have curly hair, but it's um, the curls are a little bit looser. And four type hair is considered to be the kinkiest curl, the tightest curled hair. Um, and a lot of times, not only is, you know, we ha- it's not only important to be mindful of hair discrimination, but also something called texturism. So texturism is the discrimination that people face who have more kinkier and tightly curled and coiled hair textures. Um, so Chris Rock had a really informative and insightful movie that he came out with years and years ago, for those of you who want to learn more about the, the, um, how you know the the how deep rooted and and how deep this whole texturism issue goes um i would recommend watching um well there's a couple i would recommend watching um good hair which is a movie that um chris rock created and it kind of goes into the dynamics and politics of black women's hair And um, I think, I believe that in Oprah's documentary, Dark Girls, it touches on hair discrimination a little bit, but it's been a while since I've seen that, so I'm not 100% sure, but definitely in good hair. Um, But yeah, so I have type 4 hair, which is considered the kinkiest and tightest curled hair. And um, I've experienced a lot of discrimination when it comes to my hair. Um, And again, it kind of goes back to this idea that anything closer to whiteness 
is deemed as better, more suitable, more attractive. And having 4C hair is doesn't have proximity to whiteness. So my hair is the furthest from Eurocentric as you can get. And um, even within the natural hair community, it's really interesting uh, because on YouTube, you know, within the last 15 years, the natural hair community um, has blown up. And um, on YouTube, if you even just observe the the individuals who really get shine and notoriety within the natural hair community, it doesn't tend to be women with hair textures that are like mine, that are more tightly curled. The women with the more Angela Davis type afros, um, you don't see that a lot. Even on Instagram, a lot of these natural hair gurus and the people that we are watching to get our hair advice are not people that I've seen that have hair textures like mine. Um, there are There's a few people I follow on social media, well, actually really just one or two people who have 4C hair, who I really like to see how they do their hair. But um, again, it goes back to this idea that anything closer to white is, is propped up in our society, and the same is true within the natural hair community. So having an understanding of hair types and the fact that without even realizing it, we have preconceived notions and conceptions about people um, and their hair and what we deem acceptable is so deep-rooted. And even within the black community, um, I actually posted something on my Instagram. And if you guys don't, fo- if you all don't follow me, I'm trying to get out of the habit of using guys. But if y'all don't follow me on Instagram, you definitely um, should follow. I have a link in the show notes. But I posted something about the the practice of gelling our edges. So black women, one thing that we do is we always try to make sure that our edges are laid and our edges are just our baby hairs. Um, And, you know, it's a practice. um, It's like a black girl thing, you know, to make sure our edges are laid. Um, Black girl or black folk thing to make sure that our edges are laid. And I think that if you look into... Part of the reason why a lot of us feel like our edges have to be quote unquote laid is the idea that especially for those of us 4C hair hair, uh, chicks, we feel like if our edges aren't laid, we're not, our hair doesn't look presentable. And I think it kind of goes back to this idea that um, we have to assimilate and we have to, we can't normalize our blackness in order to be accepted. We have to adhere to these white standards of and these Eurocentric standards of beauty. Um, so I, I just think that it's important to understand how nuanced this conversation about hair is. It's not, um, you know, looking at your policies and your practices and your procedures, look at your um, look with the, at, at your employee handbook and at your appearance policy or your grooming policy. A lot of companies have policies that are discriminatory, unbeknownst to um, you know, unbeknownst to management and organizational leaders. And it's just something that's always been in there, where it's like hair must be uh, presentable and neat and clean. But what does that mean? That's relative to me. What looks clean and neat could be dreadlocks to somebody else, to a a non-black person, it might not be dreadlocks. And, you know, hair discrimination is something that's so prevalent in our, in our, um, world that we probably, it just is second nature. 
Um, I think back to uh, Juliana Rancic and all of the backlash she received when she was critiquing some award show where Zendaya was on there. Zendaya is a famous actress, and she had her hair in dreadlocks. And Juliana Rancic said Zendaya looked like she smelt like weed and patchouli oil. And at the time, I didn't even know... Um, at the time, I didn't even know what patchouli oil was, but patchouli oil is like an oil that sometimes people put on their hair to, um, to help their skin. You know, there's many different uses for it, but like, I thought it was, it was just, you know, I don't even know. I, I wasn't surprised. I think that that's the norm, um, the discrimination that people face based on their hair. But I think the public was really surprised that there was this automatic association with Afrocentric hair, with black hair and weed, you know, and there's this, an association that because somebody has dreadlocks, they must smell like marijuana and they must smell like this and that. So, you know, the, the hair discrimination is super blatant in our society Again, like I said, it's second nature and many of us probably don't even think about it or realize it because it's so ingrained in us and in our culture. And, um, you know, part of becoming an anti-racist and creating an anti-racist workplace and organization is having an understanding and a grasp about things like hair discrimination and texturism. Um, so as far as, you know, one thing I did want to mention, and I think it's important to mention, is that like during the pandemic for Black women, it's been an interesting experience. And I did a diversity dinner dialogue in um, April or May about this topic with my close friend Maya. And we talked about the fact that like for Black women, it it's been really a difficult transition, especially with Zoom, because for some of us, we're taking calls earlier or later or at all uh, odd hours, excuse me, of the night. Um, and for a lot of us, like myself included, um, I was not able, we're not able to go to our hairstylist. So I've been having an interesting journey trying to just figure out how to, um, how to do my hair, how to manage my hair, because my hair gets tangled very, very easily, very quickly, which is why I usually have my hair, 95% of the time I have my hair in protective styles um, so that I don't have to manipulate my hair a lot because my hair does tend to get um, tangled very easily. And in the process of trying to understand how to manage my 4C hair, I've had to try different hairstyles, some that require me to have my hair tied up or wrapped up in a bonnet or a scarf. And of course, white counterparts don't understand this. So I can't, I understand that I can't log on to a, a Monday morning meeting with a bonnet on. Um, but it's, it's, it's the lack of understanding that for, for many black women, these are serious concerns that, you know, some of us don't know how to fully manage our hair. We're not able to go to get our hair done. And the fact that we have to join these Zoom calls and have our videos on has definitely been challenging. You know, and there have been times in April and May and, you know, in the earlier parts of the pandemic where I just ended up putting turning my camera off 
Because I was like, you know, my hair is not done. And I, you know, I could either go on here with my bonnet or with a turban, which I've been doing is like throwing on a turban, or I could just turn my camera off. So even like awareness of that and reevaluating whether it's absolutely necessary to um, have videos on for every single, for to have cameras on rather for every single video call is important. Um, you know, but... I think that lastly, one thing I just wanted to mention is that I've heard this argument or I've heard people say, well, um, you know, why is it okay for black people to get angry when people rock black quote unquote hairstyles? So recently within the last month or so, Adele received a lot of backlash because she went to a um, Caribbean parade uh, I think it was for Jamaican Independence Day or something like that. She went to some sort of parade in London or in the UK. And um, so she was wearing this Jamaican flag outfit and she had Bantu knots. Bantu knots are traditional African hairstyle or black hairstyle. And um, people were saying that Adele was appropriating black culture. And I and I I was reading comments on something and I, I heard some people say, you can't get mad at Adele for appropriating black culture when black women do it all the time, when they wear weaves and they wear horse hair and they wear hair that is Eurocentric and that doesn't look like their natural hair texture. And I wanted to just point out that black people, if they are wearing weaves and hairstyles that are not... Or, hair textures that are not, um, that don't mimic their own hairstyles. A lot of black people do it as a form of, um, not as a form of assimilation, but as a form of acceptance. These are things that many black people have had to do to be accepted by the larger white majority. Um, so being even mindful of that in that the hairstyles we wear, the, the way we dress, the way we talk, the code switching, all of these things are to gain acceptance. And I think that it's important to understand that it's different when a black person is is trying to mimic the dominant culture versus a black indigenous person of color um, getting their culture stolen or appropriated. So it's a different dynamic when it's a black indigenous person of color doing it. If you look at a society where BIPOC people are not in positions of power, then I think that it is done as a coping me mechanism. And it is, it is done by BIPOC to gain acceptance. BIPOC will assimilate in regards to hair or the way we dress or the way we talk to gain acceptance. But when it's a white person um, taking from black indigenous uh, persons of color culture, it's completely different. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, I personally... Um, don't really have a huge problem with white people rocking black hairstyles, for example, or um, borrowing from other people's cultures. But where I find it to be highly problematic is that a lot of um, a lot of white people don't give proper credit. Um, there have been several celebrities, not going to name them, but I'm sure y'all know exactly who I'm talking about, who like to steal from black culture, who like to steal from African culture, and don't give proper credit uh, where credit is due. And I think in that case, that is a very blatant form of cultural appropriation. 
It's there's a difference between appropriation and appreciation. And I think when you give credit and say, I was inspired by the the you know, I was inspired by this cornrow style, or I was inspired by the Fulani people who have this hairstyle, Fulani braids, so I decided to do the same. You know, that's different from rocking a hairstyle and putting a whole new name on it, acting like it wasn't, acting like it was created by you or you were the first person to rock it. So I think that understanding cultural appropriation versus appreciation is important. Um, and I, in my new book that I'm working on, I talk a little bit about, uh, cultural appropriation and appreciation. Cause that's a question I've gotten, um, here and there when I conduct, uh, racial equity workshops is like, what is the difference? So, um, I hope that this episode was informative and was interesting. I felt like there were parts I rambled a little bit, y'all. My throat is a little, a little scratchy. So I'm sorry if, um, I hope that it was, this was an informative episode and just you found value in it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends, family, white, a- uh, aspiring allies and advocates. And um, again, I thank you all so much for checking out this episode on hair discrimination, hair texturing, texturism, and cultural appropriation. But I will, I hope you all have an amazing week. This has been a really wild month so far, and we're only on day 10, or actually, we're about to be on day 12. Um, You see where my head is at, but we're only, you know, we're not even halfway through this month. And I think that there will be some more interesting surprises this month. It's a lot of interesting energy, but I'm so happy that, you know, we're, we're making it, we're going to make it through this y'all. Um, but (laughs) thank you all for listening to this episode. Again, there I go rambling. I love you all. And I will check y'all out in the next episode.